and it's time for WIP Sunday here on 94 WIPL Sports Radio as we ease on into what's going to be a rather gloomy WIP day, but lots of fun, lots of family, and a whole lot more. And to begin our WIP Sunday, I'm pleased to welcome here author Arthur Furstenberg, his new book, The Invisible Rainbow, The History of Electricity and Life. Good morning, Arthur Furstenberg. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for getting up so early. Yes, it's about 5 o'clock here. Ouch. All right. <laughs> Hopefully you have lots of good coffee. Yeah. Okay. Why do we need a history of electricity? Oh, that's a good question. Um, because we've been using it for a couple of centuries without acknowledgement that it is an environmental factor. And we are about... and. Wireless technology is the broadcast of electricity freely through the air. Um, and we are about to embark on something called 5G, which is going to entail um, many, many, many more cell towers. In fact, a cell tower on every block for every company. And the amount of radiation is going to be an environmental disaster. Um, 5G was not predicted when I wrote this book, but wireless technology and cell phones and cell towers and Wi-Fi and wireless baby monitors and everything else wireless in this world, which has increased the amount of uh, radio frequency radiation into all of our lives, is having tremendous health and environmental effects. And so I wrote this book to put it into context because people generally believe that electricity is harmless and that it does not affect biology and that it does not affect the environment and that is false and um, I wrote the uh, first environmental history of electricity that has ever been done from beginning from 1746 and going till today. All right, 1746, though? That was candle time, not electricity. 1746 was uh, when the Leyden jar was invented. And this was a method, the first method that human beings invented to store static electricity, which was the first form, first form in which it was used. And static electricity was used extensively in the 18th and 19th century um, in medicine in the form of large friction machines to generate static electricity, store it in Leyden jars, which are basically bottles of water, and um, administer static electricity to human beings as a panacea for their ills. And it was used um, to cure deafness, blindness, paralysis, neurological diseases, arthritis. It was a panacea, and it was used for two centuries before we started using it for lights and electricity. Did it work? Um, there are many reports that it worked, actually. There, there is one chapter in my book in which uh, I, I devote... Um, partially to the reports of cures of deafness um, by static electricity in 
very tiny doses. Hmm. Curious. Okay, where does it go from the Leyden jar, though? From the Leyden jar, we in go ter- to... In terms of history, what's, what would In terms of history, we go to the invention of the electric battery in, in the year 1800 by an Italian physicist named Volta, after whom the Volta is uh, named. Um, it goes from there to the use of uh, telegraph wires, which began in the 1840s and um, resulted in millions of miles of telegraph wires strung around the earth. Uh, From there it goes to the electric light bulb, and from there it goes to the use of electricity, the invention of alternating current. When When alternating current was invented, we could transport electricity long distances without significant losses, and it began to be used for power. And that was the year 1889. From there, we go to the invention of radio, the wireless, um, Marconi, um, radio stations, television stations, radar, satellites, um, and then cell phones in modern times. So therefore, it's safe to say, one, without electricity, you and I wouldn't be talking. Correct. And two, it really changed the world. It completely changed the world, yes, in, in, in many ways that we acknowledge and in many ways that is thus far not acknowledged. And the, the not acknowledged is what it has done to our health and what it has done to our environment. Yeah. I've seen on various TV shows, usually a situation comedy, don't buy a house under the power lines. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? That is one of the aspects of it, yes, absolutely. You, you, then you're living in a strong uh, electric field if you're right under a power line, and that has effects on your health. And uh, some of the effects on your health, I devote one chapter to each of the uh, major diseases of modern civilization, which are cancer, diabetes, and heart disease. And... Um, the case is made, and there is strong evidence that the majority of cancer, diabetes, and heart disease is due to electromagnetic pollution. Why haven't we heard more about this? Well, we've been in denial since Volta invented the electric battery. There was a debate between Volta and his countryman, um, Galvani, two Italians, as to whether or not electricity had a place in biology. And Galvani said that electricity was part of the body, which was what everyone assumed before the year 1800, that electricity was a property of life. And Volta came along, and he proved that if you touched two dissimilar metals together, um, that you could generate electricity that had nothing to do with life. In other words, Galvani did experiments on frogs. Um, Volta did experiments on metals, and he said there's no such thing as animal electricity. Um, 
the twitching of a frog's leg when you give it a shock from two dissimilar metals had nothing to do with the frog. It had to do with the metals. And everybody accepted Gal um, Volta's pronouncement that electricity has nothing to do with life. And it started to be used uh, gradually and eventually not so gradually um, to fuel the indu Industrial Revolution. And since everybody believed Volta, we went into denial as a society. The Western world went into complete denial that electricity had anything to do with biology. And to this day, if you say uh, electricity is making me sick, that's considered a psychological disorder. But electricity does have something to do with biology. Isn't essentially the human body a machine powered by electricity? Of course, yes. This is what the uh, electrocardiogram is based on, electroencephalogram, um, our cells, uh, the action potential that drives nerves. Um, yes, this was discovered later on in the 19th century, but we were well on our way to powering our civilization with electricity. And we're sort of schizophrenic about it. It's like we, in, in certain aspects, medicine is well aware and uses electricity diagnostically for all sorts of things, um, but is in complete denial. I went to medical school, and they didn't teach us about electromagnetic fields. So um, it, it's sort of schizophrenic. All right. Electromagnetic fields, are those just kind of things that power some of the machines for diagnosis, like... Um X-ray, well, X-ray, X, yeah, MRI, CAT scan. Those are all electromagnetic fields. Yes, correct, absolutely. MRIs, uh, CAT scans, X-rays, uh, ultrasound. Uh, ultrasound is an aspect of it. it it's trans transforms electromagnetic fields into sound waves. But the idea that that frequencies can have an effect on your body, yeah, sure. So therefore. A little personal story for a minute to illustrate something, and that is two years ago today, I had surgery on my back. And as a result of that surgery on my back, I had what felt like a never-ending series of MRIs, CAT scans, and ultrasounds. I did damage to my body by that, didn't I? Or potentially. Um, potentially you did, yes. It's a tremendous amount of radiation. But um, you're also getting a tremendous amount of radiation from your cell phone and from your wireless internet and from everything else that is called wireless. Because we're, we're transmitting uh, deliberately through the air what we used to transmit accidentally from improperly engineered wiring. Hmm. Where's the government in all of this? I mean, we like to think our government is there to protect us from such things. Well, the United States government... The, the military, the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force spent a tremendous amount of money funding research on the effects of radiofrequency radiation on animals and people. This was during the 1960s and 1970s. Why? Because the military was installing powerful civil defense radar stations all around the perimeter of the United States. And they wanted to know, number one, what this was going to do to people in the vicinity, and number two, how, how much radiation could they get away with 
exposing the population to. So we have, uh, and that that came to an end in 1980. It's like the funding all dried up, and even though this, this, there's a tremendous amount of scientific literature, um, it, it's not publicized, and the um, the U.S. government has an interest in perpetuating this kind of radiation, and they are also in denial. Um, th there was a, a uh, schism between the United States and the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union also studied the effects of uh, radiofrequency radiation on human beings, but they were not in denial, and they um, discovered in, 19, in about 1950, or even in the 1940s, a disease entity called radio wave sickness, which American scientists did not believe in. And that schism uh, kind of persists till today, because in the Soviet Union, in, in Russia, the former Soviet Union, Russia, Ukraine, Eastern European countries, the um, permissible exposure levels to radio waves are much lower than they are in the West. Hmm. And that is because of, of the different history. Is this radio wave disease that you're talking about perhaps an explanation for the problems that happened with the American embassy in Cuba? Some of us think that um, this is possible because it's the, the same type of disease that occurred in the United States uh, embassy in Moscow during the 1950s and 60s, which was investigated and the subject of uh, scientific reports and a book by Abraham Lilienfeld uh, at Johns Hopkins, um, almost identical, yeah. And, and it was uh, part of the impetus for a, an important book that was written in 1977 by journalist Paul Brodeur of the New Yorker magazine called The Zapping of America. Mm. And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP All Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Arthur Furstenberg. Arthur is author of a brand new book talking to us about electricity and the history of it in our society. The book, The Invisible Rainbow, A History of Electricity and Life. Arthur, I need you to stay with me. I've got to run a few commercials, pay that electric bill. We'll be back in just a bit. The WIP time. 716. And we're back. It's WIP Sunday, Easter Sunday, 2018. My guest this morning, Arthur Furstenberg, author of the new book, The Invisible Rainbow, A History of Electricity and Life. My name's Peter Solomon. Arthur, two people exposed to the same amount of electricity as you're describing it. One gets sick, one doesn't. Is there a difference or are they both going to get sick eventually? Um, there's a difference, and there's not a difference. The difference is that one may feel it consciously much more than the other. Um, and, and when I say that, these are the symptoms of what the Soviets used to call radio wave sickness, um, dizziness, nausea, headaches, uh, joint pains, heart palpitations, heart arrhythmias. Um, it affects the, I mean, a lot of things. The other person may not feel a thing. So one person will be able to use a cell phone, and the other person, it's impossible. Um, 
that's where there's a difference. There's a difference physiologically, which I explain in my book, uh, has to do with porphyrin enzymes and the uh, insulation of nerves in the nervous system. Um, it, it, it's a subtle difference, and it didn't make any difference to human beings before the Industrial Revolution and the use of electricity for everything, but it makes a difference now. The, the way that it, it's similar in everybody is that um, it, it affects us on the cellular level. It, it, it interferes with electron transport. In other words, an external electromagnetic field will interfere with electron transport in the mitochondria of every cell which means that it, it uh, interferes with metabolism, it interferes with the digestion of our food, the, the burning of, of fats, proteins, and, and sugars, uh, and effectively starves us of oxygen. And that's what leads to the three major diseases of modern civilization, diabetes, cancer, and heart disease. So yes, it does affect everybody. There, there's also been experiments um, this was discovered back in 1975 by Alan Frey, who was funded by the U.S. Navy. And he discovered the, the blood-brain barrier effect, that if you expose laboratory animals to a source of microwave radiation, and eventually in Sweden, um, some neurosurgeons uh, headed by uh, Leif Salford at Lund University, they used actual cell phones, and they exposed rats to a cell phone, and lo and behold, as many people before them had uh, proved, this disrupts the blood-brain barrier. What does the blood-brain barrier do? It keeps viruses, bacteria, toxic chemicals out of your brain. It protects the brain, um, and this is damaged by cell phones, and it's damaged in everybody, regardless of whether you feel it or not. And um, the reason for that is that brain tissue does not have any um, pain nerves in it. If you get a headache, the, those are, are superficial nerves, or they're, they're nerves on uh, large blood vessels, but they're not in your, in your brain tissue. So just because you can feel it or not feel it doesn't tell you whether it's doing damage to you. But the people that feel it, which um, is estimated to be between three, upwards of three to five percent of the population, um, these people are now being excluded from society. There's a there's a tremendous refugee problem, and this this is uh, my organization is called the Cellular Phone Task Force. We formed back in 1996 at the beginning of the wireless revolution, and I provide support services for people that, thousands of people that call me from all around the country um, who are now refugees from wireless technology. And nobody's acknowledging their existence. Nobody is protecting them. They're disabled. They're, they are being, uh, their homes are, are, are becoming uninhabitable to them. They are living in their vehicles in remote places. They're committing suicide at lar in large numbers. And, and this is one of the things that drives me to continue my work is there's this tremendous need for um, help for this population and the tremendous need to put a stop, at least a halt, to the expansion of wireless technology while we acknowledge, A, the existence that this is harming people, B, the existence of a growing refugee population, and C, the effect on our environment, the effect on our forests, 
on, a, on animals, on birds, on plants, um, on insects. This is uh, being implicated in colony collapse disorder in honeybees. And, and the advent of 5G is going to make this all much worse very rapidly. And this is what we're trying to call attention, the world's attention to. And, and not just me. There are scientists all over the world. There's an international uh, scientist appeal, which has now been signed by, I think, to date, 236 scientists in, I think, close to 40 countries calling for an immediate moratorium on 5G internationally. And this has been submitted to the uh, European Union, and uh, we are a network that communicate all over the world. So what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, is eventually all of this is going to kill every one of us sooner or later. If we do not put a halt to it, yes. Just some of us sooner versus later. Some of us sooner versus later, yes. It depends on your individual uh, constitution and genetics. Scary stuff, Arthur. It's very scary stuff. This is why I'm uh, consenting to go on the radio. It's not uh, what, <laughs> what I ever intended to do, but uh, it's scary stuff. It's coming within the year, 5G, um, not only on land but in space. Um, e Elon Musk, SpaceX, just got approval, what, three days ago, two days ago, on the 29th of March. The FCC just approved his plans to launch the first 4,300 satellites into space to provide um, basically the equivalent of 5G from space. And that means that no place, and, and he, he eventually wants to put 12,000 satellites up there. And this means that no place on Earth will be remote enough that it's not being heavily irradiated. All right, well, then let me ask you a question about Elon Musk. Yes. I mean, this is a smart man. This Very is a smart. man with a fat bank account. Yes. He's going to irradiate himself and the rest of his family if this stuff is well, happening. Well, this is what I'm saying. It's like we are all, as a society, in denial. And um, I'm networking with, with people, including scientists and, and physicians. We're still in the minority all over the world to educate the public. And, and we have to educate people quickly. And it includes the people that are doing this. Um, and we're trying to get an audience with Elon Musk. That's one of the things we need to do. Great. Well, then let me ask you a question. My house. Tell you about my house. Yeah. My microwave oven, three computers, a television, actually two televisions, a game system. We're in trouble, aren't we? Or are we? Well, the Internet uh, does not have to be wireless. The television um, is not wireless. Um the the games probably are the your, your cell phone is probably the most dangerous thing in your house, and um, we'll go back to cables and wires. It's it's not that long ago that we were functioning as a civilization um, that way, and it can be done again. And it, my opinion, it must be done again. But at least we have to stop this incessant drive to 5G because that that is going to kill us. That. An antenna on every block outside of people's bedroom windows, that it's, it's, it's going to be a disaster. And 5G is going to do what exactly? I'm not sure I understand. 
This is for what they're calling the Internet of Things, um, which means virtually everything you buy at Walmart is going to have a, a, an antenna or a microchip in it, and it's all going to be connected to the Internet wirelessly. Um, which, and the only way you can do this and provide enough bandwidth to do this at high speeds without dropped calls is to use the millimeter wave spectrum, which means you can have 100 megahertz of bandwidth or a gigahertz of bandwidth, but you can only do this at super high frequencies, which have very short ranges. And um, in order to have enough capacity, these have to be spaced every 250 feet or so throughout the world, which means an antenna on every block by every company, which means Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, Sprint are going to be putting antennas on your block near your windows. Okay, but what about the medical uses? Again, I go back to some of those machines I was subjected to from my back surgery. Yes. And, and even um, the defibrillator, if my heart had stopped, the defibrillator probably would have well, gotten the, it going. The, the defibrillator saves lives, obviously. There are aspects of, of electricity that, that, that save lives in medicine, sure. That has nothing to do with its massive use unnecessarily for communication. And, and that is, when you go into the hospital, you get exposed to, to drugs, all sorts of things that you don't want to do um, day in and day out for the rest of your life. It's not healthy. The same thing with, with uh, intense electromagnetic fields. You can use it therapeutically, but you don't want to have it 24-7 at home. Does it then become a question of risk versus benefit? Absolutely. And how do we how do we wrestle with that question then? The risks of wireless technology are too great. Um, I mean, what are the benefits? The benefits are convenience. The risk is heart disease, diabetes, uh, cancer, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, autism. Um, and a lot of people living homeless in their cars because they they can't stand it anymore. They're, they feel like they're getting electrocuted all the time. Now, when you say living homeless in their cars, do you have any estimate to offer us of the people who are so affected by this disease that they my, can't live my at home? Esti my estimate worldwide is 20 million people. Whoa. That's amazing. That is and that's conservative. 3% um, of the world's population is going to be upwards of 220 million people. But a lot of the third world still does not have uh, access to this technology. And you're saying they're lucky, aren't you? I'm lucky? They're lucky. They're lucky, yes, absolutely. But they're going to have it eventually, I, I would assume. Some degree of it, but it's got to, we, we've got to acknowledge that this has an effect on health, and we've got to acknowledge that this has an effect on environment. We, we want to still have bees in our world. We want to still have amphibians in our world. We want to still have birds flying in the sky. The birds that fly in the sky, they're exposed to much more of this than we are because they're at the level of, of the antennas that are broadcasting. Now, I've seen or heard about gizmos you can buy, and I don't know a whole lot about them, that let you measure radiation from things like microwaves. Yes, I have a whole box. I have a whole toolkit. Are they helpful? Absolutely. 
I'm judiciously uh, measure people's houses upon requests. So there's a whole industry that that is out there. It's called uh, the Institute of Building Biology and Ecology. And they train people um, to be electromagnetic radiation specialists, and they do nothing but cater to the people to the population of people who want to protect themselves and who are being injured. And let's say they come into your house and measure what's going on. What do they tell you to do? Get rid of the stuff? Well, first of all, you, you clean up your, your house and you correct any house wiring er errors which are, are exposing you to unnecessary radiation from, from the wiring. Um, they evaluate... Um, where the radiation is most coming into your house, and there, there, there are different ways to shield your walls. And uh, people are buying sleeping canopies that are made out of, of shielding material to sleep under and protect themselves. And a lot of people simply uh, can't stand their house anymore, and they're, they're given an alternative as, as to uh, you're going to be sick all the time or you have to move. Yes. But, but the first thing is, is you've got to know what you're dealing with. And uh, I'm one of the people who was affected early on, and I had to buy a, a, a set of tools uh, just as a survival kit. Now I use it also to help other people, but, it, but I, it's still necessary for me for my own survival. It, it tells me where to live. It tells me uh, what I'm dealing with in my environment. And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP All Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning... Arthur, Arthur's um, remarkable man, Arthur Furstenberg, author of the new book, The Invisible Rainbow. And, and it's available um, only on my organization's website, which is cellphonetaskforce.org. It's not available on Amazon. Not available on Amazon or Barnes Noble? No, it's cellphonetaskforce.org. All right. That's important to know. We'll be right back, Arthur. Stay with me again. Got to pay some more of those bills. We'll be back in just a bit. And we're back here on WIP Sunday. My name is Peter Solomon. Into the home stretch with Arthur, First, with Arthur Furstenberg, author of The Invisible Rainbow, A History of Electricity and Life, available only through his website. Arthur, one more time, that website? It's uh, cellphonetaskforce.org. Cellphonetaskforce.org if you want to check out what Arthur's saying about electricity and microwaves and the radiation that comes from it in our life. And I should add, and the fact at this point, the World Health Organization, which has a lot to say about our health on the planet, has identified electromagnetic radiation as a possible cause of these diseases. And that is uh, some of the scientists who are responsible for getting it declared a possible carcinogen are now saying that it should be revised to be a known carcinogen. Okay. Now, Arthur, we have a caller. So let's say good morning to Mark from Upper Darby. Mark, your question or comment, please. Yes, good morning, Mr. Furstenberg and uh, Peter. How are you? Uh, we're fine. Thank you. Good, good. Listen, I am a totally sane person, but I can feel and hear electricity. Is that common? And I have a comment about the media. That, that is uh, very common. This is, uh, you are the kind of person that my organization provides support for and has done so for 22 years. 
Okay. Now, uh, your your uh, theories and your your opinions are are, are widely uh, uh, discredited in media. For instance, in the in the uh, television series uh, uh, Better Call Saul. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but his brother lives in a home where he has no electricity and he covers himself in blankets and of aluminum or some sort of uh, protective gear. Um, have you seen that? I, I have not, no. I, I, okay. don't, I don't have a television myself. Okay. Well, he's pretty much ridiculed for being, uh, uh, and he's hospitalized several times. But, um, Peter, may I uh, compliment you on your uh, guest last week uh, who spoke about uh, soul? Yes, thank you. Um, who knows why you hear things at certain times or something hits you, but my mother had passed away. I was devastated. So here comes the show, and this man talks about soul, and I read the book, and it totally turned me around. So thanks for having stuff like that on and, uh, and this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, when you say you hear electricity, do you hear the hum that we can often hear? Yes, absolutely. Um, um, as a matter of fact, uh, I uh, recently moved, um, and it, there was a transformer in my backyard. And whenever I, if I got closer to it, I heard it louder. If I got well, further tra- trans- if I can interject, transformers often emit a hum, a real hum. Yeah. So, so we moved. I mean, my wife would go outside and say, I don't hear anything. But, I mean, I could hear it distinct, and as yeah. closer as I got, the buzz got higher. Yeah. There, the further away I went, this is not something you want to admit to anyone because they think you're nuts, but I'm not. I mean, I, I just feel I, I can't I can't explain it. There, there's a whole chapter, chapter 15 in my book, is a long chapter about auditory effects. And it, expl- it explains both the low-frequency hum that mm-hmm. a lot of people hear and the extremely high-pitched electronic sound that a lot of people hear. Right. And this is all comes from different aspects of, of electricity and electromagnetic radiation. Well, why do some people hear it and some people don't? This we don't know. We don't know enough about the ear. But it... Ah. It, it was documented as early as uh, the 1880s that about 12% of the population were able to hear lower amounts of electromagnetic fields. Right. In other words, they administered electricity to people's ears, and about 12% of the population were super sensitive to it. Right. Well, well I, I, I can say that uh, I can say I'm in that 12 percent, so I don't feel so lonely anymore. Good. I would imagine, though, in our, our Mark, at some point, you had a wonder, you had. I would imagine at some point, though, Mark, you might have wondered if you were crazy. Well, you know, like I said, I'm a sane person. I didn't think I was crazy, but you know, I I, I do believe that different people experience different things in different ways, and uh, you know, I just accepted it. But uh, when we moved, uh, you know, that sound, uh, I, I mean, it was so obvious. I, I don't hear it any, I don't hear 
as much as where I am. Of course, I disconnect a lot of things, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to go, uh, I don't think I'm going to go overboard and unplug everything I have. But, well, uh, people don't do that until they have to. Nobody wants to unplug everything and go live in their car in the wilderness. Nobody right. does that intentionally. This is because people are forced to. Right. I, I can understand that. I can understand that. I'm not at that point yet, but uh, it's uh, it's encouraging to hear that uh, I'm not alone. But uh, far, again, far from it. Yes. Yeah, Peter. Thanks again. All right. You thank you for calling, Mark. All right, Peter. You're welcome. Bye. And we're listening to WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. My guest this morning, Arthur Furstenberg, advocate for wise use of electricity. His new book, The Invisible Rainbow, A History of Electricity and Life. Arthur, I forget who it was, which who was president at the time. But when the White House was first electrified, the president and first lady refused to turn on any of the switches. They had servants do it because they were afraid of it. That might have been McKinley. Okay. But they were afraid of um, the electricity and what it would do. Yes. They had the servants turned on. Servants yeah. were expendable, I guess. Yes. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Well, people are afraid of anything new anyway, so mm-hmm. uh, that, that doesn't prove it one way or another, but, but they, it turns out they had reason. Okay. Arthur, if some president were to call you and say, okay, you're Secretary of Energy, what would you do? If I was Secretary of Energy? Because I assume this would fall under the Energy Department. The wireless, yes. no, the wireless falls under the Federal Communications Commission. All right. Chair, all right, then I just made you chairman of the FCC. I would immediately um, put a halt to the development of 5G. You think that would save a lot of lives? I think it will save our world. I, I think this is a more immediate threat to our planet than anything else, than global warming, than anything else. What other things might you do besides stop 5G? Well, there's a pending proceeding. It's been pending since, I think, uh, I don't know, over a decade now, that that the uh, FCC proposed to revisit its exposure, its human exposure guidelines. The FCC publishes limits for permissible human exposure to radio frequency radiation. And they uh, proposed back in, I don't know, over a decade ago, we're going to revisit this. And it's pending, and they haven't, um, they haven't issued a ruling. Um, rumors are that when they issue a ruling, they're going to relax the exposure because 5G is going to, is going to exceed current exposure guidelines. Um, I would go the uh, – I would invite – Scientists who are not invested, in other words, so much of the science that our government relies on was funded by the telecommunications industry. And the research that was not funded by the telecommunications industry reaches the opposite conclusion. So I would have a non-biased group of advisors to help me set new guidelines on public exposure. Well, it also sounds like, given the performance of the Trump administration in the past, that you're right, they're going to get relaxed. Well, yeah. He, he, he's uh, appointing industry representatives to every industry that they're supposed to guard. 
Tom Wheeler, for example, who was the predecessor to the current FCC chairman, used to be the president of the Cellular Telecommunications Industry Association. The fox is in the hen house. Yeah. I mean, knowing what I know and, and knowing the scientists throughout the world that I know, um, it's a scandal. The, the, um, the Environmental Protection Agency, once upon a time, had the power to regulate this industry. And this was taken away from them in 1996 when the Telecommunications Act was uh, signed by President Clinton. That the EPA actually drafted human exposure guidelines in 1995 that they announced were ready for release in 1996, which would have made cell phones illegal. Mm -mm. And the uh, Telecommunications Industry Association lobbied Congress to prohibit the EPA from regulating um, non-ionizing radiation took away all their funding, and those guidelines were never released. And the authority over radiofrequency radiation was handed over to the FCC. Mm-hmm. And this is how um, it, cell phones got into everybody's hands without being examined for safety. A quick question before we go, Arthur. Yeah. And that is, why did you have to self-publish The Invisible Rainbow? <sighs> I would think any publishing house would have jumped for this book. Believe it or not, I sent it out to publishers myself for two years and with no one interested, I had a literary agent represent me for one year who sent it out to publishers and couldn't, could not sell my book to publishers. I don't know if I believe you or not, Arthur, but I'm certainly concerned and going to think, think it through and finish the book and come to some conclusions. So I appreciate the fact you're with us this morning, gotten up so early here on 94 WIPO Sports Radio. Thank you, Arthur Furstenberg. Thank you, Peter. My pleasure. And you've been listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIPO Sports Radio. My name's Peter Solomon. Stay tuned for Sports Talk with Sunny Hill. Always provocative discussion in the living room, your opinions, Sonny's reactions. I know I'll be listening. Thank you to Phil Jackson, this morning's producer, and Ann Tideman-Solomon, my dear wife and associate producer. Couldn't do the show without either one of you. Have a happy Easter. May the big bunny leave you lots of good stuff. Hopefully left you lots of good stuff. Chocolate, jelly beans, and all the rest. And as to Passover, have a joyous Passover. It's a time to celebrate no matter what your faith. Nothing left to say, but see you soon.